Good morning. If we haven't had the chance to meet personally, my name is John Sherrill. I'm one of the pastors at this church too, and it's a great privilege to serve in that way. Uh, we're we're uh, continuing our Advent series today. It's a series called Gifts in the Waiting. And uh, we're, we're looking at stories from the Bible uh, both as kind of a window and a mirror in this series. Uh, a window in the sense that you know, when we read a Bible story, we get to look into the life of someone else who experienced life in this world and experienced what God was doing in their lives. We get to observe what God did in their lives. But at the same time, the stories are very much a mirror because we see them ourselves in these stories, right? God is up to something big in the world. God is advancing his redeeming purposes throughout the world. So we can see our, uh, our lives in the stories uh, of those in Scripture. So in this series, we're particularly looking at the gifts the characters in the story received, how we might receive those same gifts, and how we might also share those gifts with others. So today we look at the experience of Zechariah and Elizabeth and consider the gifts of joy and delight. So let's listen to the scripture. Our reading this morning is from the book of Luke. Uh, chapter 1, verses 5 through 25. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless, because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. Once, when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by Lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then, an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear, bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I am an old man and my wife is well along in years. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I have been sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not, be, not able to speak until, de, until the day this happens because you did not believe my words which will come true at their appointed time. Meanwhile, 
The people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them but remained unable to speak. When his time of service was complete, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. This indeed is the word of the Lord. Four hundred years. Four hundred years. That's the amount of time between the end of the Old Testament and the beginning of the New Testament. And it was 400 years of silence, spiritual silence, nothing. No new prophets, no new prophecy, no new words from the Lord, just silence for 400 years. Just for the sake of argument, let's say there's 25 years between generations. That's 16 generations of nothing. You know, if you were a faithful Jew, you were living by the light received by those who lived long before you. And it was really hard. Now, hang with me for a second with a little historical chronology lesson. Malachi is the last book in the Old Testament. Chronologically, that's correct. Malachi was the last of the Old Testament prophets. The New Testament begins with the Gospel of Matthew, which begins with the genealogy and then birth of Jesus. But that's not the first thing that happened chronologically recorded in the Gospels. You know, Luke wrote the passage we read today, and he tells us in the verses that preceded what we read why he wrote his Gospel. Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. Luke was not an apostle, and surprisingly, we know very little about him. He he was a Gentile, meaning he wasn't Jewish. He was a doctor. Uh, Through his writing style, we learn that he was obviously well-educated. By his admission, he did not witness the story he records in the gospel. He, He researched it relentlessly, it seems, and comprised what he calls an orderly account of the whole story. You know, we don't know much about the recipient either, Theophilus, uh, a person of high social ranking, uh, a Gentile most likely whose faith might need bolstering. I mean, he might have been the patron supporting Luke's work. We're not exactly sure. But Luke wrote to him and to us so that, quote, we may know the certainty of the things we have been taught. The certainty of the things we've been taught. 
know, when you sit down to write an orderly account of something, you've got to pick the starting point. And apparently, Luke chose his starting point by asking this question. After 400 years of spiritual silence, what was the first glimmer that God was making good on his promises? Remember the promise. We read of it today already from Isaiah 9. Nevertheless, there there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light on those living in the land of deep darkness. A light has dawned. What was the very first thing that happened to indicate this promise of God was being fulfilled? We, we read about it today. The very first thing. An angel appeared to Zechariah when he was offering incense in the holy place in the temple. And, and Luke sets up the story by giving us a little background first. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all of the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive and they were both very old. Now, Zechariah did not fit the mold of a a kind of high-ranking priest of Jerusalem. He wasn't the stylish, city-dwelling, community-influencing Sanhedrin member we might envision when we think of Sadducees in Jerusalem in Jesus' day. Zechariah was a simple country priest who took his turn ministering in the temple. And the priests in that day didn't all live in Jerusalem. They lived all over the country. And because there were so many of them, they were broken down into 24 divisions. So that meant they only needed to serve in the temple for two weeks per year. Think National Guard-like commitment. Two separate one-week stints throughout the year. Both Zechariah and Elizabeth had impeccable spiritual credentials. Luke makes that clear. Both from priestly family lines, they had the right heritage. They were righteous in the sight of God says the text. Righteous in the sense of morally uh, aligning to the commands of God's law. So this was an Old Testament righteousness, a pre-cross righteousness, not the declared kind of righteousness that's available to us now in Christ. The point here is that this couple had the right heritage and they walked the talk. They were the real deal. They loved God. And then comes the dreaded conjunction. But, but they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive and they were both very old. In ancient times, barrenness was always blamed on the woman, seen as her fault. And barrenness was seen as a reproach from God, an expression of God's disapproval of the couple. Because it was held to be common sense that God would bless faithful servants with children, and if you couldn't have children, you must have done something wrong for which God was punishing you. So all of this is just setting the stage, helping us get the full picture. You know, Zechariah and Elizabeth, faithful to God, serving the best they could, observing God's uh, direction the best they could, but there was this one nagging thing and just hung there in their hearts and spirits. No kids. 
and they wondered, did they miss something? They, they thought they were doing everything they could, but did they do something to displease the Lord? I mean, why, why no children? Why the reproach? Why the disapproval? I mean, when you imagine your way into this story, you begin to feel the tension they were feeling. And it wasn't new for them. Remember, the story says that they were now very old. They had lived with this tension for decades. Where's God? What's going on? Why are things the way they are? and always nagging in the background. Did I do something wrong for which I'm being punished? Maybe you know that thought. Maybe you've had that experience. Maybe you've wondered about that. Maybe you're wondering about that now. It calls to mind, doesn't it, Jesus' interaction with his disciples in John chapter 9. The the disciples came to Jesus and asked of a man born blind, "Who, who sinned, this man or his parents? And their assumption, of course, was somebody must have done something wrong. Otherwise, this guy wouldn't be blind. To which Jesus responded, neither this man nor his parents sinned. But this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. You know, there's a kind of grace available to Christ followers that helps us in times of suffering and empowers us to change our question from why is this happening to me or why is God doing this to me to how might I follow Jesus faithfully through this? And there's a world of difference. That kind of faith is available to us. And the day came for Zechariah and Elizabeth when, when everything changed, when they saw that what had been happening to them was so that the works of God might be displayed. Not just to them, but to all of us. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time came for the burning of incense, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. So Zechariah's division was on duty. This was one of the two weeks of year he had to travel to Jerusalem to serve. There were twice daily offerings, sunrise and sunset. Because of the gathered worshipers, this was likely the one at sunset, during which all of those gathered in worship would pray for the redemption of Israel. And as the offering was was burnt on the altar that was outside, one priest, one priest only, would be in the holy place at the altar of incense just before the great curtain that divided the holy place from the holy of holies. And that priest would offer the incense. And the idea was that as the offering went up to God, the incense, incense would go up to and the Lord would receive these as a pleasing offering as the whole community prayed for the redemption of Israel. 
There were so many priests that they cast lots to see which priest would offer the incense to go along with the offering. Uh, the offering of incense was considered a tremendous honor. In fact, only once in his life would a priest receive the special honor of offering incense in the holy place as part of the preparation for the sacrificial offering. You only got to do this once. Most priests never got to do it at all. So for Zechariah, this was the Super Bowl, right? This was, his, this was the pinnacle of his career. They understood the casting of lots to be letting God decide and that day, apparently, God picked Zechariah and said, this is your day. I want you to be the one. You know, he's just thinking, man, I can't wait to tell Elizabeth, or, uh, Elizabeth when, I, when I get back home. He, his heart soared. You know, I was chosen to offer incense at the altar. I got to do it. You know, this is what he's thinking. So when the time came, you can envision it. The worshipers are gathered outside in the, in the court of the Israelites uh, the, the priest preparing the offering on that outside altar, Zechariah moving into the holy place with the incense, and, and at the right time, all of this started happening simultaneously. And as Zechariah started to burn the incense, suddenly, between the altar of incense and the candlestick, because we know the layout of the Holy of Holies, to the right side, he looked up and there was a supernatural being right there, an angel. And he responded in a very typical way. Fear, we talked about that last week, right? Typical human response to the reality of God in this world. Whoa, this is all real? Yep, this is all real. Whoa. And the angel said, do not be afraid Zechariah, your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and delight to you and many will rejoice because of his birth for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God and he will go on before the Lord to make ready a people for the Lord. Your prayer has been heard. Which prayer? The decades-long prayer for children? Or the prayer happening in that moment as both the priests and the whole community of Israel prayed for God's redemption? God, please redeem us. Well, says the angel, both. Yes, all the way around. You get a son, and the final chapter of the redemption of Israel has just begun. Yes. See, God was not punishing them. They had experienced a long season of suffering. But, but now, in an instant, right, Zechariah began to see the pieces coming together. The tension of decades resolved in an instant in the gift of a son to be named John. Interestingly, the name John means Yahweh has been gracious. And indeed, Yahweh is gracious. Gracious to Zechariah and Elizabeth 
in their personal situation, gracious to you and me in our own personal experiences of pain and suffering, and gracious to the nation of Israel, finally answering this prayer for redemption, gracious to us in this broken world, so desperately in need of that redemption. Right? God sent an angel to Zechariah to announce the good news of the gifts of joy and delight for them and for many. And these are the gifts God gave them, the gifts God offers to us. Back, back to the prophet Isaiah for a moment. There will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. A light has dawned. You know, there's, there's the sunrise, but then there's the pre-dawn light right before the sunrise. Right, John the Baptist represented the pre-dawn light of God's fulfillment of his saving purpose in the world. Think of the Gospel of John, the opening words. In the beginning was the Word, meaning Jesus, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Fast forward to verse 6. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all might believe. Not some now. All might believe. That's God's hope. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. And then to verse 14. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Christmas. Right. I, I wonder if you feel like you've been living in the land of deep darkness but are seeing the first glimmer of God's work in your life. You know, a, a pre-dawn light you did not expect but is rising upon you nevertheless. The possibility of faith becoming conceivable the force of the historical claim that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead weighing upon you inescapably. And the realization that this story, the Jesus story, the gospel, is bigger than all of us and cannot be spoiled by the worst human failures or attempts to misrepresent it. If you're in that place, it is a new day. You know, joy and delight are available to us in Christ. Jesus said, I've come that they might have life and have it to the full, have it, have it abundantly. And our part actually is quite simple. Stop saying no. That's really it. Stop saying no and instead say yes to Christ. Meaning, Lay down your pride and turn to Jesus. Confess your sin to him. Ask for help. Dive into the Bible. Start reading it. Push through the stuff you don't understand. Put it on the bookshelf up here for later conversation with others. Find some other Christ followers. Pray together. Try to grow. This is what we do. And Jesus the true light that gives light to everyone has come into the world. So maybe you're in that place where you're sensing a pre-dawn light. I think the Lord is inviting you to take the next step to move forward in that. For those of us already in Christ, come back to the simple gifts of joy and delight.
yeah, there's stuff we don't understand. Oh, man, I don't need to list it for you. Things happen every day that are, that are painful. Children precede their parents in death, not the way it's supposed to be. Right? Tragic accidents take those we love way too early, not the way it's supposed to be. Disease robs us of life, sometimes with painful plotting, sometimes with stunning suddenness, not the way it's supposed to be. And yet, there is a kind of faith available to us in Jesus, which is marked by joy and delight. A, a kind of joy and delight that are unshakable. Psalm, Psalm 46 says this, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging, Simply put, God is our safe place and our helper. Even if our whole world falls apart, that will never change. And Psalm 37, which we've referenced already in today's service, puts it this way. The blameless spend their days under the Lord's care and their inheritance will endure forever. In times of disaster, they will not wither. In days of famine, they will enjoy plenty. Right, this, is, this is good news. This is an unshakable faith impervious to the storms and waves of this world. This needs to be shared, right? A, a kind of faith that, that not only doesn't wither in times of disaster, but enjoys plenty when there's nothing. That's what this is. I mean, the gifts of joy and delight in Christ are not meant to be hoarded, but proclaimed, distributed, publicized, and discussed that everyone everywhere might pray this prayer in all sincerity of heart, believing it to the core of their being. Lord, as I lay down in sleep last night and rose this morning only by your grace, so keep me in a joyful, lively remembrance that whatever happens, I will someday know my final rising, the resurrection, because Jesus Christ laid down in death for me and rose for my justification. Friends, God gives joy and delight in Jesus. Zechariah and Elizabeth received those gifts. We receive them in Christ and God asks us to join the movement of sharing Jesus with the world, that these gifts might be delivered to everyone. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Pray with me, would you? Lord, thank you for feeding us by your word, and thank you for feeding us at the table uh, to which we turn now as we listen to the words of institution again, as we pray together, Father, turn our hearts to what you want us to take from your word today. How might we not be simply hearers of the word, but doers of the word? Show us that. We ask in the name of Jesus. Amen.